Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaos. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and tonight I have a special session for you. We're going to introduce a new investigator into our soon-to-be Motley crew, and I'm going to introduce you to one Simon Granger. In fact, I'll do you one better. I'm going to let him introduce himself to you. So, Simon, tell us who you are and who you play. Uh, hello, my name is Alex. I'll be playing Simon Granger, a new investigator. We find you in England. Mm-hmm. Among the Georgian architecture of the docks area. So, specifically, Blackwall. This would be a bit east of Limehouse. And I'd like you to give me an idea of what a day in the life of Simone is like. Well, I would probably start my days relatively early. Most of the time at this point is likely spent trying to put together the missing pieces of the puzzles that are forming. I'm spending a lot of time walking, uh, walking the streets, taking notes on my ledger regarding things that I've seen or things that I'm looking for, things to note for later. Any of the branching investigations that I would be doing would be tracked pretty meticulously. It would probably be an alarming amount of annotations of people's appearances, their habits, their comings and goings. Sure. Simone is not necessarily a paranoid. He's just extremely careful. Um, So he doesn't frequent the same places at the same times often. And as his time in London has gone on, he's likely broadened his area of awareness, starting first to make sure that the place where he's staying and the immediate surrounding area is not necessarily secure, but at least he is aware of potential areas of local authority, places of power, the groups and factions that are moving in and out of those areas and that have interests in either the people or the the goods and services moving around. Yes, the Limehouse docks especially and the the larger Surrey commercial docks nearby are going to be a treasure trove of potential observation targets. Uh, obviously, this uh, calculation that you view things with comes from a past. One does not necessarily uh, simply create these uh, mental uh, guide guideposts to go by uh, out of whole cloth. They come from something that has happened to them. Uh, but what's important today as your boots are walking the halls and the of your apartment um, What's important today is that you've been told that there is a telegram waiting for you. Okay. Uh, Is there a particular place that I would go, or is it something that arrives at uh, the door or at the residence that I'm staying at? 
it arrives at the residence, uh, although it arrives with the, uh, the caretaker of the house. And so where the, the structure you're living in currently, this uh, large Georgian style architecture flat is uh, run by uh, an elderly keeper. Uh, she's uh, nice, calm. Uh, she keeps her way about her. She likes specific things done. Uh, you're fairly certain that uh, her sons died in the war. And so with what little she had left, uh, she began renting out some of the rooms here to assist her with the financial situation. And that's been about eight years or so. So her sons passed fairly early in World War One. It, uh, it's, it's definitely something that you have become accustomed to over the past few weeks and months. How, how long do you think you've been staying here? Depending on uh, where my travels have taken me, I would say that this is probably the place that I continue to return to over probably the past four years. So I would do my best to make myself useful to her, be it in you know a, a handyman capacity, uh, making sure that the plumbing is working. Um, she has problems with the lights or you know, a windowsill or a ceiling. Yeah, you have no end of potential jobs mm -hmm. at this, you know, relatively rundown series of flats. She's called on you several times to assist to make sure that uh, renters can, uh, you know, get their lights working or if there's a, uh, a plumbing issue. While it's not the uh, worst work you've done, it isn't by any means your chosen trade. Your fresh back... Um, probably the past few days from France, you had an investigation in Paris that you were looking into. There'd been a report from your sources there that some strange spirit had attacked a building physically and was able to manifest and wound several residents of this large apartment building. Now, uh, the investigation that it that was there that was available for you it's still a mystery, uh, but unfortunately, word got to you that uh, that you were needed back here. Okay. I would also like to to note that if she does end up having problems with tenants, uh, be it with people, perhaps you know, misbehaving, or if she needs a little assistance with encouraging them to to pay their rent and not be squatting, considering she's not necessarily super well to do. Um, helping her quietly in that capacity would also be something in my purview. Yeah, I don't think that she's... In those situations, most likely, it is much more something that Simona feels out. Uh, it's nothing she, she would ask for, per se. Sure. But it is something that he might do, simply being aware that, okay, this person's obviously being a problem. I'm going to make sure that they understand... Uh, that, you know, she, she has no space in her tight purse for squatters. Well, then I really have no space for people that are loud and draw unnecessary attention. Right. Absolutely. So you manage your way down the stairs in the morning. She has a small uh, foyer at the bottom of the apartment where uh, mailboxes are. And you see that there is a manila envelope there. Uh, good morning, madame. I, I, it's my understanding that you have something for me. Uh, yes, uh, in in the box, in the box. She's um probably 
close to her sixth decade on Earth. A very matronly uh, garb, crow's feet and wrinkles, and probably has seen more of the the worst side of this side of London than uh, than you have in her years. But uh, she still has a very steady uh, pace to her. She has not slowed down by any means. I see that you are glowing more than usual. Mm, you're too kind. Um, I will open up the box, just kind of palm the letter. I won't really pay, pay much heed until I get back up to my room. She uh, reaches her uh, hand out a bit and points to the, the cooker that she has here. And if you'd like some tea, we have some available. Yes, perhaps in a bit. Uh, I, I'm assuming this is important, so I will be heading up to my room. But I will be back down soon. Of course. Merci. You head back upstairs. I'm not used to receiving things that are kind of off schedule, so I, I would probably make it make it up there with a sense of urgency without trying to appear alarmed. You get back to your room and you can feel the paper almost vibrating in your hand. There's there's something to this. Maybe it's just your own apprehension. Maybe it's your own uh, emotion at finally getting some strange letter of contact, um, but. Yeah, I'll take it out and I'll open my eyes and take a look at the the messaging, see if I can identify who it's from. It's a vanilla piece of paper. It appears to be a Western Union telegram. It looks like it was filed perhaps a few hours ago. It's from New York. It appears to be rather distressing. Um, I'll sit in my chair and kind of read it over to myself. Yeah, killed in New York. Investigation underway. Friends from Peru coming to Southampton 7th February. Ilyas will request you a company investigation. Monsieur Ramsey's Esquire. Yeah, the name at the bottom really does it for you. And you can tell that um, the address that's marked at the front or at the top of the letter is his law office in New York City in Harlem. Um, you've been there years ago, but you know that that's where um, he had it dated from, so... Um, there's not a horrible amount of detail here. Um, I'm a little... Now, my awareness of... Actually, you know what? I don't even really think I'd be prepared to critically think right now. I think I would sit down in whatever chair I had available and probably just kind of hold the letter, you know, face down and brood for a moment. It is definitely something that rocks the foundation of what you've built these past years, whether it be uh, his occasional correspondence from places uh, that you've picked up, obviously not in real time, but you'd come back to this flat several times and over the years and had uh, a message from China or a message from uh, Kenya at these fantastic tales that he was, he really felt like he was onto something. He really felt like the Carlisle investigation in had and in, in its grasp, whatever was going on there was part of something far larger. And it it seemed to you, at least from the message that you got from Jonah, and this would have been I don't know, probably a month or two ago, it didn't seem like Elias believed the story that the Kenyan authorities had given about the 
the, the real reason why the Carlisle expedition had been massacred. Now, this is something, as far as the Carlisle stuff goes, that was in the paper, but it was in papers years ago. And you've only gotten a few uh, bits and pieces of the story. It was you're, you're figuring it was likely heavier covered in uh, American papers than in London papers. But the Carlisle expedition came here. And it was this very um, glitzy and uh, glamoury uh, situation where, uh, it, you know, this million dollar playboy uh, gathers these people and they all set out on this grand adventure. It was very, uh, it was very stunning, uh, very ostentatious, not very American. I'll put it that way. And then it just, it all fell apart seemingly. They, they supposedly had some advancements in Egypt. They went south on a holiday to Kenya, and then they were rumored uh, to be killed by a bunch of Kenyan tribesmen. And then the Kenyan authorities later found the tribesmen who did it and hung them. And so after that, the world kind of let go what had happened to the Carlisle investigation. And for whatever reason, Elias could not let it go. Well, it seems that there was more to it. So I will take the telegram and um, tuck it into the copy of probably the Black Power. It's on my nightstand. Mm-hmm. While I'm, I'm kind of letting myself, you know, feel this, it's been made pretty clear to me at this point that there is work to be done. Elias's will ha- has made a decree. And as far as I'm concerned, I am not only in his debt, but I'm still under his estate's employ. So... Um, if they're going, they'll be arriving in Southampton, which isn't horribly far. No, not at all. I mean, from where you're at, it's definitely a train ride for sure. They would have to be arriving by ship. Yeah, absolutely. So you would know anyway that if you were to take a train there, you're probably looking at, it could be three to four hours. Depends on uh, the speed of the train. Uh, if you were going to get on a station here, or if you were going to take something down, say south to Brighton, and then run it along the coast back west, you could get there too. But that would likely take you uh, much longer. That said, if they're going to Southampton, then that pretty much narrows down what shipping company, what cruise company that they're going on. So they'll be part of the Cunard line at that point, which means finding the docks and would not be difficult at all. You'll you'll know where they're going to end up. So this was sent on the 26th uh, and it arrived. What day is it now? Currently it is February 3rd. Okay, so it's a Tuesday. So before I start packing everything up, uh, I'm going to take a look around the room and make sure that uh, if I do have to make a bit of a, of a rapid retreat, um, that I'm not leaving it in you know horrible disarray. And then I will head downstairs to the pot to get myself a cup of. It fails to cure your rolling mind, but the housekeeper here, the the keeper of this location, she's reasonably enough distracting conversation. She doesn't comment on your apparent um, quietness. She does her best to just keep the uh, stiff upper lip as the uh, English say it would seem that uh, I need to go on a trip and I do not know when I will be back mm. my friend has, uh, has passed mm. she 
moans a, a, and gives you a very understanding look. It's probably one of the most emotionally connecting looks you've ever gotten from her. She seems to deeply understand. Seem that I will not be able to attend his funeral. There are matters that require my my presence. Well, she steps over and reaches out and kind of puts her fingertips ever so lightly on your shoulder and says, you do what must be done. We will be here. I'll put my hand over hers. You know, let let, let it sink in. Uh, I'll nod. And I won't take her hand off of me as much as I will just kind of turn away from it and raise the cup a bit. Uh, I will... I, I am uh, I am uns- uncertain when I will be back, so I will be leaving the rent as I would normally for March. This house will be here when you return. If I do not see you before I leave, au revoir. Mm, she gives you a nod and a, a reassuring smile, um, although a tight one, for sure. And then she steps away out of the kitchenette area and walks back down towards what is her location, her apartment. This probably supercharged me quite a bit, considering the circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I will, you know, steal my jaw a bit and march back up to my flat. I start packing and I look over the, if I have a train schedule, look over when would be the best time to leave, uh, where would be the best time to leave from. And I start thinking about, I'm not very familiar with Southampton, intimately familiar. It's not really my area. So yeah, I'll, I'll be kind of, you know, reconfigure my notebooks. Like I don't need all of the stuff locally. So I'll, I'll leave some of that stuff behind. Um, and, you know, take a fresh ledger, pencils, lead, all the things that I would normally take. I'll be bringing a, uh, a duffel and a briefcase with me packed with my things, my belongings, my investigation kit, if you will. Sure. You know that the the one person who probably knows more about what's going on, likely anyway, is Jonah Kensington, his you know, editor and business partner of a sort at Pro- Prospero House. It's been years, of course, since you spoke with, with him, but um, you'd have to send some sort of telegram there and try to get more information as uh, obviously a face-to-face conversation is not going to happen. They're in New York, right? Yeah, Prospero House is in New York. Yep. So my thoughts are, um, if it's already the third and they're arriving, you said it was the third or the second? It's the third. Um, And if they're arriving on the seventh, uh, that only gives me four days into the weekend to get established. And I'm relatively certain that I'll be able to either send one from from the train station I'm going to or from the train station I'm arriving at. Well, you're very certain that there's going to be one in Southampton for sure. Mm-hmm. Just because it's a it's a shipping area, so it'll definitely the port itself will have telegraph services. Uh, I wouldn't doubt that uh, the line comes in relatively close to there. As far as getting more information, I'm acting under the impression that the. Uh, the friends that he has coming in from Peru will be able to tell me something before a message from the editor can get back to me. 
and honestly, this feels pressing. I've received my marching orders, and so I, I'm going to go marching. You're probably fairly certain who Ramses is referring to, given the time you spent in Los Angeles. Right, the investigative team that uh, he was overseeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he would probably call it um, the investigating team that I tagged along and uh, made sure that they <laughs> didn't get into too much trouble. But yeah, it's it's likely members of that same group. Okay. Uh, yeah, I check all my things and I double check them. And I take my copy of the Black Power, stuff it in my jacket pocket, you know, lower the hat, pop the collar. I'm sure it's pretty freaking cold outside. Yeah, it's not... Um, the winters there are far different. So it is not um, cold as uh, we would know winter. Uh, it's probably in the... Anywhere between the uh, mid-40s to, to 50s. It doesn't get as cold there. So uh, the one thing that you have still yet to get accustomed to in all of the time that you've spent in London is the, the rain. And this year has been no exception. So... It has been a, a steady drumbeat throughout the first few months of uh, a, a fairly solid amount of rain. And that has brought on also fog. The fog here is almost a, uh, a secondary layer of clothing as you uh, walk about the, the, the streets of Limehouse. It clings to everything. Your clothes, the bag, curls around the bottom of uh, streets and uh, the streetcars and horses. Most of that is from uh, all sorts of environmental effects that are going on in London. Uh, part of it is is the coal that's being burned. We'll take the time during the walk to try to separate all of the kind of impulse thoughts that I'm having from the matter at hand, uh, considering I don't necessarily know whether... I mean, if I'm being asked to meet up with these investigators, I don't know if it's necessarily because of Elias's death or uh, I'm being asked to kind of follow up on his work. So those are the kind of things that I just kind of ruminate on uh, as I'm walking. Yeah, it's tough to say, given your experiences with him, not only in your own home country of Haiti, but in your experiences in Los Angeles and his perspective post-Peru had changed quite a bit. Uh, he had, he was not the same person after Peru that you met when the two of you uh, had your first meeting when you were younger in Haiti. Uh, he was definitely someone who had been changed by what happened. And on the walk to the station, you have these reoccurring flashes of thought about the time that you did get to spend together what, what the message from Ramsey really says, even though it is very brief, your mind in, in a true investigator format begins to pick apart the words and what they mean. Elias was killed. And so that means that it, it doesn't say anything about how he was killed. So that's one of the first things that you're going to want to know is, okay, how did it actually happen? And then what can you possibly draw from that? Was it a, a random event uh, was it some sort of gang violence based around uh, the prohibition going on in America? Or was it something far more sinister? I see Elias killed in New York, investigation underway. I'm thinking who, who is going to pay for his death and who are the parties responsible for ending his life? 
because I feel like I feel like if if Carlton wanted me to approach this from a this was not something that could have been avoided. It was an accident. There was a you know a, a, a ship crashed into a harbor, or you know he he fell ill. Um, I feel like those are things that would have been made clear so as to evoke whatever reaction they, they would be looking for. And in my opinion, anyway, and I might just be reading too far into this because I'm pissed and frustrated and sad. I'm looking for someone to blame. Yeah, I think it's that. And then your brain does a, well, if this situation wasn't something unscrupulous or something mysterious, then why would the the people that the people that were with him in Peru, why would they be coming here? Why would he want me there? Right. Why does why does the why does Ramsey think they need you? So that's there's all sorts of potential questions. They continue to flood through your mind as you find yourself now sitting uh, at a station waiting for the train to arrive. By the time I arrive, um, I still haven't I still haven't stitched together what the hell I'm going to write to the publisher. I'm sure that they know at this point, but the only thing I can really say is. I understand, and I'm sorry, and I'm on my way. Those would probably be the three lines that I said. I mean, I know he's in New York, he knows he's in New York, uh, and I'm not going to try to to perform a a telegram investigation and try to get him to, you know... No, I'll speak to the investigators first, and if I think that there's something that the publisher that we can benefit that the, if I think the investigation can benefit from what the publisher knows that these people don't, then I can make a bit of a more calculated response, but I want to reassure them. Uh, I want to reassure Kensington that this has my full and undivided attention. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely something he, I would imagine someone would want to do at least to let, let Ramsey know that, that you received the message that you understand um, and that is totally going to be available to you. Know, putting in at a, a telegraph office isn't uh, too much out of your schedule. You have you have four days to make a trip that is roughly four hours. So, sure. Well, I'm hoping to get to Southampton and basically start my process, starting with where I know the ship is going to be, starting with where I know I want to be, how nearby I want to be, creating myself some sort of even temporary place to operate from if I need to rent a room. Uh, I don't necessarily want to walk around with my duffel all day. No, not at all. You are fairly certain, given that Southampton is the put-in point for the Cunard line, uh, you'd be able to get some sort of, not a halfway house, but some sort of room rental there, uh, you'd imagine. Uh, there probably would also be hotel services, depending upon how much you'd be willing to spend. I'd be looking for a place probably near the docks. I want to be, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily need to be able to see the ship arrive, uh, but I want to be relatively close by. Like, I don't want it to, and I'm, I'm assuming that the closer you are to the docks, the cheaper it's going to be. That all depends. So, well, if I'm looking for, um, like, blue collar stay. Sure. I'm, I'm sure that given the, between the, the people that you've been rub, rubbing up against for four years, the limeys, 
in the Thames specific shipping district, uh, there's probably places just like that in Southampton or nearby. So you can't, I, I can't imagine it would be too difficult for you to land a, a spot there. Yeah. I don't necessarily, I don't dress upper crust. I mean, the, the fanciest thing I probably have is my top coat, which isn't necessarily, it's just functional. Sure. Otherwise, you know, slacks and boots and a, a sweatshirt. He doesn't wear a tie. So you begin to travel. Uh, when you when you send the telegram from the telegram office, is give me a, just a short summary again of what you're sending back to Carlton. So to Carlton, let's see. You are free to you are free to send more than one message. Obviously, right. yeah. I think pretty much what I said. I understand and I'm sorry. Stop. I will be in Southampton when they arrive. Stop. This matter has my full attention. Stop. Simon Golgé. And to Kensington. I think I, I think to Ken so he and Kensington have been in, in business with one another for a very long time. Mm, yes. In fact the three of them really are kind of like a sort of triumphant in the fact that uh Elias would go out and do the investigations and write the books. And Kensington through Pro- Prospero House would publish them. And some of the stuff that Elias wrote was the real big money makers for Prospero House. And essentially, Carlton is the person who would protect Elias from legal matters. So he is the guy that would stick his neck out and go, no, 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 it's perfectly legal for him to do this. I know you don't like it, but my man's got to get his story. So that's kind of the way that they worked. Then honestly, I mean, I, I feel like. I feel like they would both receive the same message. Um, I don't really think I need to, to split it out uh, because, I mean, I feel like I would kind of owe them both the same respect and the same level of confidence in what I was doing. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. You send your messages. You board the train, kind of sweeping away a bit of the uh, London fog, as it were, as you get in. You also notice that it, uh, it tendrils of it tend to collect in here, too. And while it's not as prevalent... In the dream. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, you have had those instances where it's a real pea super, and you have to, you know, cover your face and you have to you know, wrap up so that way you don't inhale too much of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've seen people get black lung. You've seen kids be sidelined for days because of a real bad fog. Uh, it's a. Uh, it's. It's definitely something you pay attention to. Because mm-hmm. it's a, as much as it can potentially help you environmentally when you're trying to investigate, uh, it can also harm you too. So it's definitely uh, something you pay attention to. I make sure to wear a scarf. Well, scarves are they're fashionable. They're not ties, um, and it, and it goes well with my coat. Yeah, absolutely. The travel through the countryside here is something that you have found that getting aboard a train and traveling out of London and into the countryside, no matter the direction is always fun. There's always a bit of... There's something in you that enjoys the movement. The seeing the passing villages uh, and then the scenery. Uh, England is a rather pleasant landscape. Uh, Trees and uh, all sorts of different nooks and crannies to uh, villages that you'll end up passing through. It, while it's not your native Haiti by any means, uh, it is not as picturesque as being on a pleasant version of the ocean. It is a bright spot in your otherwise damp and somewhat dark days. At the moment, I mean, 
I think kind of looking looking at the the villages and the towns that we're passing, I would probably spend some time reflecting on kind of what Elias's objectives really were. He was unafraid to venture into you know dark places and like the seedy underbelly of mankind, things that all of these people, people on this train, people in those towns, people in those villages are either unaware of or are willfully ignorant of because it would, you know, shake the fabric of their existence. And I, I think about all of the train rides that he must have taken and like, I feel like there is a level of optimism and hope that he had that, at least in the beginning, that I would almost be resenting him for because I'm going to feel like that got him killed. I'm going to feel like he stuck his neck out too far. He did too much for someone or something uh, and it cost him his life and it cost the world his life. You're quite possibly. Uh, the the man that you, you, you know, met and had some experiences with uh, and really just corresponded with more than anything um, was somebody who's very feisty uh, they were someone who you really do believe would have stuck their neck out for the you know what you from what you saw in Haiti um, someone who was willing not knowing anyone in the situation but realizing that something wrong was happening and even being an outsider willing to stand up for someone that they didn't know it's the world and the illumination that there was in is a bit dimmer after this telegram. There's no doubt of that. And uh, whatever whatever happened, getting to the bottom of it is something that you're going to have to do. And you know that. And then that's already become, uh, in just the few past few hours, something that uh, you've kind of solidified around your core. Uh, but he was somebody who wasn't afraid of officials, not afraid of... Uh, being told he couldn't go somewhere, not afraid of uh, skulking around in the jungle if it meant getting the next, you know, great story. Uh, he was an investigator through and through. You can remember the smell of his pipe at this point. It's it's something that you hope doesn't haunt you. Well, yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm thinking at that point, like, if I'm on the train ride, it probably came to mind because some jackass is smoking his tobacco like a few seats over, and it's it's yeah. infuriating. <laughs> it's absolutely infuriating. <laughs> yeah, I'll just pull my hat down over my eyes and not sleep, but just kind of try to tune everything out and wait until I hear that obnoxious bell. Uh, there are several bells along the way. Yeah. Um, so every stop gets its own bell. Um, people shuffle in and out of the train with very little there's no uh, if this was a train ride in your native country there or even really in any other country there would be a reasonable banter back and forth Um, things are relatively quiet here people keep to themselves Um, there are occasionally the squabble between family members or a couple of blokes who get on that are maybe a bit drunk Uh, but for the most part the people here are either coming or going from a specific spot. One of the villages you pass, or one of the uh, smaller cities, I should say, you pass along the way, what you catch from it specifically, uh, you see lines of people outside a government office. Mm-hmm. The unemployment here 
has really started to hit. Some of these workers probably spent most of their time in uh, north at some point in the uh, coal mines, but things have really begun to hollow out here. And you know, especially given the place where you've been staying, it has made people a little bit more desperate. And so that's something you, you kind of subconsciously pull your bag a little bit closer uh, just because you don't you don't want to leave it too far out. If I'm being entirely honest, it's not surprising, considering I'm also sure that I've heard plenty of people point the finger across the ocean. All of the things that are transpiring over there that are bleeding into this country. Yeah, and in, in some regard, what has happened here is a great consequence of the class system. Laborers have been striking for that you know, those companies that have refused to hear their demands, they have carried their own little collection of workers on the streets out front of their buildings with uh, picket lines. So your concern, just having seen multiple different cultures in your time, uh, is that it's likely not going away. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it may just be the beginning. Oh, well, yeah, this is... If, if all these people seem at this point so surprised and so like kind of reflexively maligned by what's going on they haven't really hit the bottom yet like this seems to be the uh, just the beginning like the tension is just kind of starting yeah likely it is likely just knowing from your own past as far as the different social uh, caste systems and class systems that are out there it is likely that the people of London here, the families that are being left wanting uh, and starving, being on the dole or, or being unemployed completely, those families are going to start in the next weeks and months feeling like they're running out of options. And you know all too well what happens when people get desperate. Mm-hmm. And so... You, you file it away uh, in the things that you could think about other than, you know, the unfortunate death of your good friend, Jackson Elias. I will definitely at least be mindful of them. And if there if there are things that I can hear, I will probably listen. Um, because, I mean, it would be a distraction. Even other people's... The, the practical misery of unemployment or starvation or just being want for things... Um, is at least a solvable problem to, to some degree. There are, there are things that can be done either by the state or by those people. Um, and those are probably the mechanisms by which, if I were to, to, to smear optimism on anything, those are probably the only things that I can really turn to. Um, sure. I, I can't, I'm not, I can't turn to a higher power. I can't turn to philosophy but these people are going to have to fight for what they need. And while those fights can be societally damaging, while they can, you know, blood can flow in the streets and people will starve and people will get sick and people will die, the reasons that they would be doing it would, I think, kind of give me at least a a sense of a, a way to identify with them kind of very kind of human level. Yeah, absolutely. It really isn't until you don't pick up chatter 
that you can cling to anyway until probably past Wimbledon. And it's really when you get into some of the uh, some of the civil servant area that you start picking up that chatter of um, the hand wringing and the worrying of you know what's to come next and you know old timers worrying this uh, trying to, uh, to trying to avail themselves as uh, heroes of the uh, English courage at the the sight of something that is difficult right so they mm-hmm. they press the um, they press more into the open palms the the hope that uh, England made it through the great war and that's past us now and we'll find a way through this and it's a song that is sung frequently in the what what middle class areas there are here uh, but in the you know, the charity or the poor class uh, it's really uh, very much an empty bowl for someone to feed through. I mean, in this, it's kind of my understanding that this is this is all kind of fallout from the war, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, a lot of really what's happened here, this great dark scar that is beneath the fields of England, uh, is that a, the, the war itself, the Great War, claimed an entire generation of people. Uh, lots of families lost two, three members of their family. Um, and that could be anybody from the farmers in the field to the tradesmen in uh, the city to the aristocracy as well. And so servants no longer serve now. Uh, and the power that was once guaranteed by some, you know, by the great King George's bloodline or whomever their bloodline goes to, all that stuff is getting usurped by money, right? So this whole class of people now that you've seen grow from the past 10 years, this nouveau riche, this industrialist money uh, has kind of upended the entire class system. So what you find most compelling about it uh, from a, an angle anyway, is that part of the class system, part of what made has made England the way it is, could be swept away during this time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's a probably... And I wouldn't want to presuppose for Simone, but there, there's probably a, a part of him anyway that might see that as a good thing because Great Britain has been pretty colonial. And there are problems with that. Sure. Um, but that's that's really what you see as the, the, the real issue. The real issue is, is that uh, the heart of this country, the up-and-coming generation of workers, um, granted mostly men, uh, has been spoiled on the fields of France and Germany. And they're gone now, and they're not coming back. And you don't believe that the people who took Britain to war were prepared to pay this price. And this is the empty pocketbook that they're left with now. Right, and they can't really... I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I'm, like, too involved in in local politics while there are certain things that I would probably try to remain aware of especially foreign interests so like the local governments are going to kind of run the way that they run it's it's foreign influence is kind of what always sets me on edge um, regardless of what environment I'm in so when I think about like if we're if we're just exiting World War one at this point Germany is Germany's in the in the in the middle of trying to pay reparations like has it even started yet 
Oh yeah. Um, so the Treaty of Versailles sets that all up, and realistically, by the early 20s, so 20, 1921, stuff like that, that stuff is 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 going. There's a portion of the um, the Ruhr Valley that is being that, it, quite honestly, right now, uh, is being occupied. So let me memory serves correctly. I want to say it's up until. Well, it was. I think it was like the Dawes plan that broke. Right, it, they they put together yeah. the and that screwed over like Britain's coal. The Ruhr Valley gets occupied in twenty one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, French Belgian troops occupy part of the Ruhr Valley, which under the Treaty of Versailles formed part of the demilitarized Rhineland. Right in nineteen twenty three, the whole was occupied as reprisal after Germany failed to fulfill the reparation payment. So basically. Germany says, we can't do it. Not only can we not do it, we're just not even going to try. So they even went as far as to sabotage and uh, and fail to make the repayment because hyperinflation is killing Germany right now. It's destroying it. And people are starving and, and dying. And suddenly it, it, it becomes hyperinflation, which, which makes it even worse. And the passive resistance gets called off around 23. And then Germany implements a currency reform under the Dawes plan and the next few years do not go well. Yeah, until they like redo it in 29 or something like that. Right, they eventually redo it. Uh, but for where we're playing at right now in 25, French and Belgian troops, for the most part, are, are, are either going to be coming out of it relatively soon. That's the stuff that probably gets, I don't want to speak for Simone, but I would imagine he's not a huge fan of troops from multiple countries you know, occupying territory. I don't know. I mean, he's not necessarily like a like an English patriot, but yeah, it's it's un, it's unsettling because it destabilizes the entire area. It, you know, it erodes confidence. There's all sorts of awful things that happen. And I'm a big fan of people being kind of left to their own devices and and allowed to just kind of live their lives. Uh, the war the war did plenty on its own. These are things I'm thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> all of these thoughts. Yes. <laughs> All of these thoughts brung, uh, stay in your head until that final bell hours later uh, where the conductor comes through and announces that you're arriving in Southampton. Okay. I let the moment the moment wash over me and just kind of sweep all of that stuff away. Um, I collect my things and very patiently wait for my turn to exit. Southampton, from where you see it, is relatively gray skies. It's it's overcast today for sure. Uh, You know that you're not terribly far from the coast. Uh, You can hear it and feel it. Stepping off the train here is a breath of fresh salt air. And it's both, right? So it is both salty air, but also fresh in the sense that you don't feel or smell or see any of the London fog here. And so it's refreshing in that regard. Yeah, I'll take a pretty big lungful. You know that uh, there's a an inn not too far from here. The pig and whistle, you know, is uh, not too far from here. You'll be able to make your way there and uh, set up shop until you need to meet the investigators. Yep. What time of day is it when I arrive? So by the time you arrive, it's probably just past uh, midday. Okay. Uh, you know that the Cunard office is not too far from here, probably about six or seven blocks and you figure it's probably a good idea if you go and get a schedule for arrivals so you know the time that people will be coming yeah that's what i was thinking go to the area so i'll, I'll check the schedule get something to bring back to my room with me 
Um, I will also try to get a local uh, map if I can. Oh, yeah, that's not too hard to obtain. Like a roadmap or mm-hmm. um, something that'll kind of give me an idea as to, as to the area and a newspaper. A newspaper. Okay. Yeah, not too uh, not too hard. So uh, you know that you'll be able to you get the hold of the schedule pretty easily. Uh, they have them available for you. You see the uh, large docking area with the overhead archways where people would be getting out. There's actually a boat or a ship that's arriving right now. And while it's not the one that you're looking for, it does give you an opportunity to kind of pantomime mm-hmm. what would happen when people get out. So you get to see people exit the, the vessel. You see uh, whether it be uh, horse and buggies or whether it be cars waiting there. Uh, you do see a mixture of both uh, picking up passengers. You're not really certain whether or not these folks who are arriving on the 7th would would have something already called up, but that does give you something else to put on your list, so to speak. Yeah. Once I'm situated, um, I will take the time to go through any of the notes that I might have taken during my trip to California regarding... Now, I would make it a point, just so that you were aware, that I don't keep a lot of notes on Elias or his people, or his businesses. So if I did have anything that referenced that group, it would all be in kind of, I wouldn't say coded language, but there'd be footnotes at best. Things that might hint at if if he gave me an idea as to who they were or what I could expect, there would be some sort of representation of them in my notes, but it would not be explicit by any stretch. Yeah, that's fair. I think if you just, if you decide to take the book out and do a quick relative revamp of just a refresh mentally of who the who they are and what you remember about them yeah uh, just going maybe going down the list so to speak you'd have some idea of uh, Forsyth in the sense that he was a pretty well-built man uh, able-bodied worker you know that he spent he had spent time on the Panama Canal working on the project he is someone who has a very he has a very Teddy Roosevelt attitude about himself Sure. Uh, in the sense that he's he's a bit of no, he's not braggadocious by any means, but he's a man of his opinions. I'll put it that way. You remember him. One of the things that he used as a method to to convalesce and to recover was uh, playing chess with uh, some of the other folks at the hospital. It allowed him to kind of put the pieces back together, so to speak. One of the investigators, one of the female investigators, uh, a Miss Fairchild, was just seemingly like someone Elias would have cast uh, in his very similar role. A reporter who was interested in the next story. She is uh, she's attractive. Someone who loved jazz music. Perhaps a bit of a flair for the dramatic, both in word and in deed. Always somebody who is into the next new thing that the 20s could give her. That makes sense. Jack Doyle, former soldier, uh, was somebody who'd seen war up close. That was painted all over his face. Um, You remember the scars on his face from bullet fire or from uh, incendiary rounds that he'd experienced in World War I. Uh, He did a lot of talking while he was convalescing about his experiences in the war. 
you talk to nurses, not to you directly, but you know that uh, he had mentioned, he kept repeating at first his name and uh, what company he served with and where he was supposed to be. He had a very um, real and deeply entrenched concern over missing his men, that he was supposed to be somewhere and he wasn't there. One of the brighter spots for you was the German doctor. Uh, So his name was Sigmund. And he is someone who actually recovered relatively quickly. And although you never spoke to him while uh, after the recovery, because you were unfortunately sent on an errand by Elias, um, you remember that uh, he has a powerful mind. And he took to the lessons that they taught him at the uh, hospital relatively quickly. You remember seeing and charting his progress and noticing that his recovery time was uh, two to three times faster than the other ones. And then finally, Miss O'Shea. Um, so Elias kept calling her Maeve. You think her first name is Maeve? He spent quite a bit of time with her. He actually, of all of the investigators that he came back with from Peru, he spent the most time with her. It seemed like they played off of one another for information. They helped each other piece each other's experiences back together, if that makes sense. Sure. Okay. But that's how you remember them. Right. And I haven't, as far as, I mean, I haven't met them in a, like a normal social setting. It was only while they were, my only interactions with them were when they were um, kind of putting themselves back together. Yeah, your only interactions with them were when they were convalescing. Um, So you would have experienced them all with a heightened, different emotional states, different mental states into and out of it. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the the closest that you've gotten to actually having a discussion with them. This would have been when Elias was first with them for maybe two or three weeks. And after that, as Sigmund began to get himself pieced together... Elias had tasked you with going somewhere. Yep. All right. So you get settled into your hotel room. It's uh, two and six, two shilling, six pence to get the room. And they do their best to make sure you have a, a reasonably clean room. You have a view of the harbor itself. Yeah, that's what I would have asked for if I could have anyway. You find it's got a reasonable view. Uh, It has space for all of your stuff. It's not large by American standards or by any means, but you're at this point very much used to European sizing. I'm fine. I mean, if if there is a place to sleep and it's somewhat comfortable and clean-ish, you know, I'll inspect the bed for things like ticks and fleas, bugs. I'm not looking to carry around anything in my bags, but if if the place doesn't seem to be infested or filthy, I'm fine. Yeah, it's not filthy there. You you do find a couple of fleas, but that's not really uncommon. No, uh, you're so used to dealing with them, you just deal with them rel- you know quickly, and then the rest of the room looks pretty hospitable. Yeah, I think I will. I'll open the window. Uh, what floor am I on? Uh, this looks like the third floor. Okay. But yeah, I'll just kind of take in take in the area. I'll hang up my map, sit down at the window with the newspaper. And, you know, keep my, put my ledger on the ledge, um, set my binoculars up right next to it. And I will kind of half-ass read the paper, 
glance out over at the docks, glance at the map, glance at the newspaper, just try to put together what people are talking about, if there are like key events that are happening locally, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I'll look over anything that is, because uh, the, the paper I would have grabbed would have been something that was local to the area. You were in Southampton, for sure. Some of the things that they're probably going to talk about, or at least they have talked about uh, in the past few days, looks like um, the U.S. US President Calvin Coolidge signed a, uh, into law an airmail bill, popularly known as the uh, Kelly Airmail Act, which uh, relieved the government of responsibility for airmail. So what that is going to allow you, allow the Americans to do is, is basically start their own airmail air service. Okay. Uh, which is rel- not relatively big news here, but uh, you find it amongst the business pages for sure. Yeah, I, I guess I settle into into working. Once I feel comfortable enough with my understanding of the docks, and I'm not too concerned about surprises there, I will likely button up the room and go on more of my walks. Yeah, Southampton is definitely something that you are going to want to walk around. The, mm-hmm. This place moves a little bit like Blackwall and a, a little bit like Limehouse in that area of the docks. Uh, but the ships here are so much larger mm. uh, because they're coming from international waters. Uh, so uh, you get a good view of the docking area and then the actual city itself, which at this point, Southampton's not, nothing, nothing to sneeze at. There's quite a bit here. Sure. So... There's several cathedrals here. There's a hospital as well. Um, And you get a a pretty decent view all the way up to, say, maybe about a a mile or so north of the city where the train line comes in. Uh, You see that there's a river that cuts north um, just at the uh, where the uh, ships come in at. Just a bit before on the east side of uh, Southampton, there's a river. It looks like it's... um, cuts a fairly squiggly line back up towards back north maybe three or four miles or so but yeah you get a pretty decent feel of it there's a quite a quite a large amount of uh, park space here as well okay so you get the feeling that uh this place has uh much much like uh some of the other places in london is is uh settling on having parks right and i'm guessing there there's a pretty like diverse uh commercial districts and oh yeah um there's quite a few um chinese laundromats here mm-hmm. there's quite a few restaurants that appear as anyways that they're uh, indian descent there's people really and cultures from um, all over the, the planet here uh that's one thing that has kind of brightened you a bit about england anyway is that it seems that there's a fair amount of um there it's not as uh, it's pretty culturally diverse here. Now, the the, rea- the reaction to those cultures is a co- different conversation entirely. Sure. But, um, but, but you can definitely get... Right, they're here. So uh, you could easily go in and get food from three or four different places here, uh, depending upon what you're interested in. Um, what I make it a point to note are... Again, I start with the, the places of authority. I look for police stations, fire stations, government buildings, places that are... Places that maintain a presence of any kind, just to kind of get a feel for how much control the local government has, um, what sort of presence, you know, the the crown has, I guess, 
in the area, like what kind of the division is there. Uh, again, this this is really just me. It's kind of just how I I get comfortable with a place because it gives me the awareness to know if I wish to travel relatively unmolested, these are the streets that I walk, these are the routes that I take, uh, these are the places where I don't necessarily hover for too long. And it's not like I'm a wanted man or anything. It's just they... I don't want to put myself in situations, generally speaking, uh, where I would be at a disadvantage because I'm, you know, forfeiting any... Um, I'm just kind of giving over my presence to them by, you know, venturing into the, the lion's den or whatever you want to call it. You probably spend a good portion of the day and then maybe the next day just really getting a feel for uh, this place. Uh, there's a lot of tight roads and alleys in here, mm-hmm. and you are you're not from here. You don't you don't normally stay here, so you're um, asked to appropriate yourself to the physical space uh, and then use that. Um, spatial location to keep yourself aware mm-hmm. um, and I also pay pretty close attention to any homeless or vagrants or panhandlers I don't necessarily pay them any extra heed but I, I look at you know where do they congregate uh, where are they gathering where are they coming from where do they go to sleep are they you know are they out on the streets are they under bridges are they in alleys are they in halfway houses because it, if you were to ask me, I would probably say that these next two standing on a street corner and watching everybody walk around, they are going to have, in my opinion, the the, the widest perspective of what goes on day to day, minute to minute in the streets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, do you want to attempt to mission from them? I don't. I don't think so. I think the focus is still going to be at this point on uh, geography and security. Making a note of where they are so that I might know where to go later is kind of what I'm thinking right now. Okay. So, why don't you give me a spot hidden roll, sure. and we'll see what uh, we'll see what comes up. All right. So, you give the docks area, especially the. Um, say the southern portion of Southampton a pretty good once over and as you go through the location you just make some mental notes about where things are when things seem to appear and then you at least in the immediate sense you also have the ability with uh, with your gear with your binoculars in your bag to do some of this from your hotel room right uh, and so you actually decide to um, take yourself off the street and to do a lot of this spotting from the security of your own room. You're three floors up, binoculars, you can see the entire dock, and you start making notes in your notebook. Yep. Sounds sounds about right. Um, (laughs) The calendar spins another day, and you settle in with the heart of darkness and try to get a hold of your friend Elias in some sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to park you right there in Southampton. Okay. Okay. And so 
I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I look forward to seeing um, what happens when our investigating crew arrives in Southampton. So have a wonderful night or day, depending on when you're listening. And we will catch up with you next week.